Welcome back to the Liberty Pole. I'm Cole Williams, and as always, we have our co-host, Blake Batchelor. And today we have a special guest, my cousin, a student at Liberty University studying politics and history with intent to work in the D.C. swamp when he graduates. He is a brilliant, thoughtful, and open-minded person, and most importantly, I consider him a good friend and a good man. Ladies and gentlemen, Keaton Browder. What's up, man? Oh, man. What an introduction. <laughs> Thank you for that. Like that? Yeah, that's probably that the, was great. That was great. the nicest I've ever been to you. So. <laughs> so, that's so, who is this to anybody? I think it is the nicest I've ever been, man. I, I appreciate you coming on. We, we talked. We, we had a little mini family vacation, and we just kind of got this thing together. I, you know, I've been wanting to have you on the podcast. You were one of our first options for our first guest, and you are our first guest. So, so this is our first interview, and we're happy to have you on. And we're just going to work through some stuff. And uh, I know that you might have some different opinions on some stuff than me and Blake because we kind of come from the a hard hardlining libertarian side of things, whereas you might come from a, a more moderate uh, or uh, a more moderate side. So I'm an authoritarian just, monster. You're an authoritarian. Yeah, that's right. You're an authoritarian. <laughs> you like to lock babies in cages. <laughs> so, so, so we're going to get into some stuff. So what is the meaning of life to you that to not start with the political question? What, what is the meta, your meta analysis for the reason why we're here on this earth, whether it be a spiritual one or a, just a, a moral one, disregarding okay. religion. So definitely a religious answer. Baseline, we're here to glorify our creator. Outside of a typical cliche, Christian conservative religious answer, um, try and be a good person, con contribute to other people's lives, build each other up, um, just live life in a good way, enjoying it but also helping others when need be yeah so uh, yeah i mean even even without a religious answer i mean i think i think you could give kind of the same answer whether you worship a god or not and i think us three are all pretty solidly in the christian camp of things and we would say yeah. glorify our creator but so yeah <laughs> i i agree with your answer and and uh maybe we can get into later why the state doesn't do all the things that you said so, what kind of piggybacking on that? What what do you see as your role as a as a Christian and a political activist? Where is the intersection to you? What 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 is the kind of the goal of your political activism or, or just your your political mind in general as a Christian? You know, through your first principles that you work from as a Christian, and then into the world of politics. Where where does that intersection really hit for you? And and how can you? I don't know. Maybe feel like you can make a difference in politics and in the world of, uh, of legislation as a Christian? Okay, that's a good question. So the biblical role of government, baseline, punish evil. It says it in Romans 13. It couldn't be any clearer. And then applying to America. So the U.S. is a paradox because on the one hand, it had Christian foundings. If you read the Declaration of Independence, God governs in the affairs of men. It's pretty clear that it has a Christian founding, but then the whole point of America is to not be a Christian nation. It's supposed to be a melting pot for a variety of religions, and that's where the paradox comes into play because you have all these different religious types, all these different belief systems, and um, they'll contradict in certain points, and it'll cause confusion and conflict within the U.S., which makes it such an interesting experiment um, because the fact that we've made it this far without religious conflict, you hear it happening now in culture wars and such. But the fact that we made it this far, very impressive. Um, a role as a Christian activist, on the one hand, it is part to promote my ideals and Christian principles, the family, education, um, capital punishment, uh, marriage, all those issues. But on the other hand, it's we have to fight for the rights of everyone, not just Christians. So a Muslim should have the same amount of rights as a Christian because from the state point of view, it's you can't really confirm which one's correct. So you have to have level playing ground for both. So I think it's a balance of promoting my own principles versus promoting the principles that I signed up for 
as an American citizen who follows the Constitution, freedom of religion, no state, church. So it's finding that balance. So uh, I don't know if you have anything for that, Blake, but I have a, I have a little something. I think that was that was a really interesting answer, and I agree with you about the paradox in the founding of America because I would submit that America was founded on Christian values. And I would say kind of to answer that paradox, I think America was founded on, on the values of Christ, where Christ was this accepting figure and he didn't he didn't use force to, to shove anything on down anybody else's throat. He lived by example, he gave other people their freedom and he allowed people to choose. And and he Definitely. and he and he thought, you know, and his divine knowledge, he knows much more than any of us mortal beings, obviously, but, you know, for the sake of conversation, he thought the best way to do that was to live a moral life, to be kind to others, and to give people the freedom to choose. And I think that maybe to settle or to solve your paradox that you pose, which is a very good point, is that we were founded on, on those Christian principles, that we, we want to set up some sort of state that allows us to worship this Christ, this God, but, but we want to allow others to worship their Christ or their God, you know, the equivalency in, in another religion, or to be a religious. Uh, I don't, do you got anything to add on that, Blake? Well, I, I agree with what you both said. I mean, I even think John Adams and some of the other founders wrote about that, uh, if not explicitly, uh, implicitly, that the only way this new experiment of self-government would work is if the people were led by some type of Christian morality in their lives. Yeah, and I think that, you know, we're... I don't mean to talk over Keaton in his interview, but I think that the more we pull at the, the social threads that bind us together as a society, the less of an opportunity we'll have to capably self-govern ourselves. And, that, and, and when we do pull at the social thread of our society, I think that invites state power to, to coerce us and to rule our lives and our everyday mundane activities. And, you know, I don't know, you got anything else to add to that one, Keaton? Uh, I think that you kind of summed it up well, and I, I like the way that you answered the question. So uh, what you just said, um, so you were kind of discussing when religion is gone, um, that creates a vacuum, and government is more than happy to fill that vacuum. Yep. Uh, yep, um, I concur. Just, That's a very just adding on to that, definitely. It's uh, the workings of the free market and, and the marketplace of ideals, you know, and when the ideals of... of individualism and a, and a worship of a higher being go, comes, you know, out of vogue, state dependence comes in vogue. And I think we're seeing that a lot today. So kind of more to modern political questions. And, and just to preface, you're, you are, you identify as a Republican. Yes. You don't, let me make sure I'm correct. You don't identify as a, a MAGA cultist Republican who worships Donald Trump. I mean, I'm correct in saying that. Uh, correct. I voted for Trump. As I supported him up until the election, obviously. And then after that, it was just, uh, uh, did I let that slide, this yeah. slide, and then a couple things, election lies, um, the big lie. Um, <laughs> and then January 6th, and I thought, hmm, maybe I was a little too deep into it. But Trump just has that appeal because there are people that will just religiously follow him. And he's very charismatic, and he'll, he'll draw that out of you. He's very um, charismatic, but he's not well-spoken, yeah. to be honest with you. He's not, oh, yeah. he's not a great orator. He repeats himself yeah. three to four times in a sentence. So, so basically, just to, just to preface that, where you kind of stand for the audience. Yeah, what do you so feel I, like? Or, I'm sorry, what, what were you saying? I was going to say, yeah, so Trump supporter, not too out there, but I was, I was pretty supportive of him in the election. Um, but hereafter, I thought, hmm, maybe a little too deep into it for my support, but definitely not part of the religious cult of personality around him. Oh, yeah. So, so to my question... What do you believe the state of the post-Trump Republican Party is? Uh, you know, after after the, the Trump loss and the January 6th riots, what do you believe the state of the party is? And if you believe that it's traveling in a downward trajectory, do you what 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 do you see as the proper course to reverse this trajectory to to kind of become as they were in in earlier generations, much before the last 30 years, the the party that really did champion, you know. Small government and free market. So, so what kind of two two questions wrapped in one that kind of follow along with each other? 
All right, so the state of the party, it's it's still trying to work everything out, but it's it's a little chaotic at the moment. Someone sent me a text a while back asking me about my opinion because it was an article saying, at Liberty University, pro-Trump versus anti-Trump conservatives um, will be a battleground for future elections. And they asked for my thoughts. And the article phrased it, and that's how people view it now is, if you're against Trump, then are you really Republican or conservative? No, it's that's just one person who is great at polarizing, making you pick a side either for or against. So I think it's trying to bind together pro-Trump versus anti-Trump in order to win the midterms, ultimately have a good candidate in 2024 and get back the majority that we lost insanely quickly. Um, so I think it's in a uh, identity crisis right now, and it needs to resolve that. Yeah, so I, I would agree with you there. Um, so kind of, kind of as a follow-on question, what can the Republican Party, or, or I'm sorry, what who can the Republican Party elect in 2024 that you see would be would be a knockout candidate to to bring the free market back back in the vogue and to bring small government, legit small government, not the small government that Donald Trump posed. The, a champion, which he did not, as we all know. But the, the small government that, that Republicans uh, say they support, what, what, what candidate do you see that maybe could bring, could bring the party back to its former glory and, and, and really champion that for the American people? Well, that's kind of wishful thinking. Um, you won't win the Republican primary if you're, um, or excuse me, you won't win the general election if you're small government, limited government, core key principles without Trump. So the biggest part about 2024 for a Republican candidate is they have to win. Plain out and simple. That's how every election is. You have to be able to win. That's the whole goal. It's not to discuss the, the problems and issues. It's to win. So I don't see a Republican that is outwardly limited government, Libertarian in style per se, um, but I see I see a few winner candidates, which that's the whole point is to win. I see Ron DeSantis who has favorability, and I'm not necessarily endorsing any candidate yet. I gotta wait until they campaign on certain issues. But I see Ron DeSantis, very high popularity among Republicans. Um, I see Nikki Haley who would also be a winner. I feel like. Um, so it's all about electability. Um, I've heard some people say Mike Pence has the popularity and electability, but I don't well, see that. That's going to be tough after the Trump supporters hang him. So. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, and um, so I don't really see Mike Pence, but that's another name that is drawn out and mentioned a lot, so I had to throw that one out there. But I'd probably say Nikki Haley or Ron DeSantis only because – They'd be not guaranteed winners, but they they have a lot of momentum going for them heading into 2024. Are they super limited government? Not exactly, but Ron DeSantis had some good work in Florida with limiting COVID overreach. Yeah. Um. So I think that says something. And uh, he's ex-military. He's been in Congress. He's been he's had a lot of experience in all kinds of government. Um, so I think he knows pretty well. Nikki Haley, on the other hand, UN ambassador. Um, I don't see as much limited government out of her. But those are the two um, candidates that have a lot of momentum going for them. Okay. So so you kind of came from the direction of who 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 you think. So you, so you think the most important thing the Republicans can do in 2024 is win. Maybe Absolutely. From, okay. So that that makes sense. Blake, do you have anything to add on that? Uh, Ron DeSantis, I think, would be the clear and easy choice for the Republican Party. I, Nikki Haley, I think, lost the Trump crowd with her comments since the January 6th stuff. Probably. Um, Ron DeSantis would be, the me personally, probably the only one I would even consider voting for just because of what he's done during COVID for Florida. Um, so I, I, I agree with that, Blake. But I do have issues with DeSantis's foreign policies and yeah. his view on the military police state. 
Um, so DeSantis is a, a big militarized police guy. I mean, it's plain and simple. He supports the police. He, 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 and he sees it as some sort of political tool, I guess, or, or he honestly supports the police. I'm not sure, but he, he, he's a big militarized police supporter. He, he's a huge, you know, die in the wool Israel supporter and Netanyahu, Netanyahu supporter. And, and, and I have some issues with that, but I think that I can, I could overlook that if I was a Republican, surely, because I agree with you that he's the best candidate for the Republican Party. And I'm not surprised that Keaton brought him up pretty much immediately because I figured we would all be on the same page on that issue. Yeah, and you mentioned um, about police state and military and law and order is going to be, as crime is spiking throughout the country, law and orders will be a very important message in 2022 and also 2024. Yeah. So you're definitely going to have DeSantis pulling out those influences from police and military. So you'll hear a lot of law and order out of him. I guarantee it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I was kind of coming from the point, the viewpoint of me and Blake that we, we personally don't appreciate that, but I do realize and recognize that the Republican base does appreciate that. And I, I wouldn't necessarily blame him for, for pandering to that base. So, what are your thoughts on uh, central banking? Because me and Blake have done pretty extensive, deep work on central banking in this podcast, or at least talked about it a lot. And I kind of wanted to hear your thoughts on on the Federal Reserve, or, or central banking in general, and the Federal Reserve specifically, either A, how it's benefited us, not sure how you could come to that, viewpoint but if you do that's fine or or be your negative thoughts on it and you know kind of the floor is yours and we might have some pushback we disagree but you know i just want to hear your thoughts on it okay so one trend that i've noticed lately and my roommate's a finance major so he told me about this it's called the modern monetary theory where you know how the debt is ridiculously high and the u.s is just the economy is overblown and there's all kinds of inflation and whatnot. And the theory is, and I've noticed this with um, financial bureaucrats, is that the U.S. economy can just keep growing and it, the bubble won't ever burst. And, I th and that's one of the main modern trends I see and that just alarms me to a T. It's just... I don't see how that's so idealistic. It's not realistic. It's not based in free market. Um, so I definitely don't appreciate a modern monetary theory trend arising out of the Fed and whatnot. Yeah, so, yeah, MMT is, uh, I think maybe me and Blake have touched on MMT in the past. Maybe not. Um, we So MMT, yeah, I, I, I agree, is, is kind of an incoherent economic theory. And, 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 and to say that you can, you can, you can pump this bubble up and, and the bubble of the stock market as we're seeing right now when Donald Trump was, you know, uh, pushing the Fed to lower interest rates even below 0% and some ridiculous... Yeah, MMT hasn't been proven wrong yet, so that's, <laughs> yeah, a, that's, sure. a, that's the problem. I'm sure, yeah. It won't, it won't be proven wrong until we all lose our houses. And, and, and yeah, so the Fed, of course, is abiding by MMT because they, they want any opportunity to pump this... Uh, this worthless money into the market and, and 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 as you probably know as me and blake have discussed at least the money obviously goes to the big corporations and the big banks first and when that money trickles down by the time it gets to the blue collar consumers and the middle class and the lower class the markets have already adjusted to inflation and the prices have gone up so the only people that ever get hurt are the blue collar workers and you know the lower the lower lower wage white collar workers and especially the lower class whose savings get wiped out overnight when prices spike and, and, and worth of every asset goes up and, and basically their savings account is liquidated from this inflation. And, and that stems from the MMT and, and from bad financial policy by Donald Trump and now Joe Biden, who don't necessarily understand macroeconomics at all. Pretty sure Donald Trump's never read a book in his life. But that's just my personal theory. Art of the deal. He read that one. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. Well, he probably, he probably dictated it at 3 a.m. eating a bowl of Cheerios on Twitter. So, and it was probably about as incoherent as it could possibly be. But, uh, Blake, I'm sure you have something to say about MMT. So, <laughs> go ahead. Yeah. 
for, for those that don't know anything about it, their essential argument is that the U.S. government being the issuer of the currency, it's impossible for them to default on any type of debt because they can just print more money to cover the debt. I'm not sure exactly what the argument is for fighting inflation. Um, it's nothing coherent from what I've seen. And at this point, I think it's still fairly fringe, but it wouldn't surprise me if the next five to ten years it becomes the dominant uh, economic policy for federal governments all over the globe. I mean, it's, it's, it's Keynesian at its roots, to be honest with you. To some extent, it's Keynesian. Or it has a Keynesian feel to it, obviously, with a different modern flavor. And, and I would just, I want to stay on the central banking topic. So, so Keaton, would you, so do you disagree with central banking or do you think that we could do central banking correctly? Um, so central banking from the start, Hamilton, National Bank, Andrew Jackson trying to fight it. But I mean, it's lasted until this point. The U.S. is the premier economy in the entire world. Correlation doesn't equal causation, but I can see a merit to some form of central bank especially in a federal government where it's a it's um kind of a pool out of a bunch of states all well all 50 states um but i can see some merit to a central bank but one that's too powerful it's um it's just impending it'd be naive to say oh we can have a central bank and then not try and gain too much power uh cuz money is the root of all evil so so see i i don't think that Morally or logically speaking, as as a as a government, quote unquote, we the people, which I don't abide by, but a lot of people do. I don't think that we could make a coherent argument for central banking at all. And my reason is, is since the inception of the Federal Reserve, we've had a violent booms and busts that have hurt a plethora of people. See, in in the recession of the, the early twenties, which nobody knows about because they're not going to tell you in your minimum security state indoctrination camp, a.k.a. high school, um, they, they, they don't teach you about the depression of the 20s because that depression was largely solved with the free market response of, of holding back capital investing, cutting spending, doing a little saving, and the interest rates adjusted, and then and, and the market called up after a year or two. But then when you see the, the, the onset of the Federal Reserve and Federal Reserve practices and, and, and bad monetary policy by... Wilson and then and then Hoover and then FDR the, the the savior of the day of course if you've ever read a history textbook you see a great depression that lasts what six years Blake I'm not I'm not 100 sure on the years the time frame that's that. modest yeah, yeah 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 so six years hardcore probably seven or eight maybe and 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 the reason why is because we never we never tapered we never let those we never let the market decide what, what who should who should and and where they should allocate their investments to and, and government was basically deciding at the very top of this pyramid what's best for the market of 200 million people and who are investing or saving their money. And, and, and the market couldn't recover from that. And I would say this, too, that central banking has been and, – and, and, and I agree with you that you can't link causation with uh, – I'm sorry, correlation with causation. But since the inception of the Federal Reserve, America has had its longest and its most deadly wars. So, so there was no possible way that America could have fought in World War One, and there was no possible way that Britain or France could have fought in World War One past one, maybe two years, without the American Federal Reserve. And the Federal Reserve has made that possible for huge government programs to go on and on. And we've pumped this bubble up, and we've and we've made, we've really made a beast that our grandchildren will have to deal with down the road when when we start defaulting on these interest rates and these swaps, and, and people start pulling their money from our markets. And you're going to see the dollar collapse. So buy Bitcoin, kids, and buy gold. But I just don't think that the Federal Reserve correlates to a to a moral government in any way, which I don't think the government strives to be moral. But it gives the government the power of the purse to fight these 10, 20, 30-year wars and, and unleash havoc on people that otherwise the American people would never get behind because it would hurt us financially to, to be somewhere else supporting such a large military for so long. And I like that you mentioned um, the world wars because, um, I mean, you talk about what actually got the U.S. out of the Great Depression. It's World War II, plain and simple. Well, I, I would I would disagree with that to some extent. Really? But yeah, yeah, I would. And and we don't have to get into that, I guess. But it, I, 
the reason why I would is because because destruction never brings about production. What I what I see that that brought America out of the depression. So 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 I see World War II as another bubble kind of nested into a the Great Depression bubble that we had built up from the New Deal and all the programs that FDR had instituted. And the largest federal program of all was World War II. And 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 when World War II ended, we kind of saw, you know, troops coming home and looking for jobs. We have we had destroyed a lot of production and a lot of capital and and we really had nothing to show for it. I mean, I'm not saying that World War II wasn't a just war and we needed to fight it. I just would disagree that our involvement in World War II brought us out of the recession. I think that the free market proclivity of Truman and Eisenhower and presidents after that kind of taking their hands off the scales and letting the free market respond really largely brought us out of that recessive times and back into a kind of a powerhouse of an economy. And, and I would, the only reason why I say that is because like you just come back to the principle of production cannot, I mean, destruction cannot bring production. And, and my view of a healthy economy is capital investments produce things that consumers buy. And, and I just don't think the war does that in any case. Well, what do you, do you have anything to respond to that first Keaton? And I, maybe I didn't give a coherent reason why it would probably take a little bit longer for me to respond. I mean, to expand on my view of that, but if you have anything to push back on that or Blake might have something to add, I'm not sure. Okay. So yeah, you mentioned, um, the free market and there, I can see where you're coming from. Definitely where, um, the economy was starting to recover slightly slower, but that's because you talk about a transformation of an economy. The thirties was just, we came out of a new country at that point. Um, but you're definitely right about, um, there was some free market recovery happening. I just see with the amount of new supply that was coming out out of World War II, I can see, I think there's a middle ground on that. I can see that. Yeah, so, yeah, so, I mean, maybe there is. It's just, I just hold to the theory that, that a war will not bring about production because even when producing, that production's being destroyed and it's not, it's not exchanging with other production and, and capital assets on the market. So, so, so the government's using this, this asset to destroy another asset and there's no exchanging of goods there. There's no net positives. There's no net production coming, you know, from the market at that point, it's just goods are being produced. So to me, world war two, I mean, like I said, I, I would argue that world war two was a just war, but world war two was essentially a federal jobs program, just like any of the projects of the new deal. And it just created a larger bubble. I think Truman and Eisenhower kind of settled us down by taking their fingers off the scales. Truman actually had pretty good economics. I'm not sure about his uh, foreign policy, but he had he had good economics, and Eisenhower did as well. Like, do you uh, have anything to add to that? Yeah, that the World War II wartime production. I mean, it did inflate the GDP by the nature of how the yeah, GDP of is calculated. But like you said, the production that was being done wasn't being used to produce further capital that was just being sent off to be destroyed so that's not or that's destroyed. not helping yeah or destroy other things so that's not helping any type of uh, sound economy yeah but i can see your view keaton i understand it because because we did kind of come into an economic recovery after world war ii but i would say that the reason why is because we tapered off of that bubble and we kind of allowed the free market to work. I'm going to, I mean, obviously I'm not just going to leave you red handed and not give you a chance to, if you want to push back on it or if you're good there and we can move on to some other stuff, it's up to you. Um, I think, I think it's good, but, um, just, uh, um, a clarification. Um, so there was that free market recovery. Um, and you, and I was thinking while you were talking was that it could be the illusion of another bubble that's just being pushed back because that's economy economics nowadays just oh we're just pushing back more money yeah um so i guess there could be an illusion there where it's that world war ii money that's coming in was just a bubble pushing back money toward the future that we'd have to pay off yeah and it's well especially more for other countries because they're purchasing stuff that's just going to be destroyed yeah that's not necessarily the americans faults but uh they're the ones that were deeper in the war than we are we were towards the, toward the beginning only because our five of Japan later, but um, yeah, there was that capital being destroyed. I just don't see it as much being on the American side, since we are more the arsenal for democracy and whatnot. 
But uh, I think there is some merit to the free market recovery argument over World War II. Yeah, so, so the only thing that I would push back, or I would ask you this. Okay, so, so in theory, we did not have World War II. In theory, Nazi Germany exists, Imperial Japan exists, but they don't try to conquer any land. They, 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 they stay put, and, and, and we don't, obviously we don't know about the Holocaust. So in theory, would the American people be better off trading with Nazi Germany and Imperial Japan to get, obviously, you know, the, the Japanese saying is, you know, the, the Japanese people are like everyone else, but more so. And, and they make, obviously, great products. They have great innovent, uh, innovations in Japan. Sorry, I can't talk. And, and they have many things to offer our market, as they do today. And you can't even say enough for German engineering. So do you think that it would have been better for our market to trade beneficially for both sides with the German and Japanese people as opposed to go to war with them? I, I think that's kind of the question I'm posing. Um, I would say I think it's better to go to war because it was a just war and they were conquering our allies. No, no, no. Okay, so my question, my, my, my thing is they don't go to war at all. My thing is is they stay put. We, don't, we have no reason to fight a just war with them. It's kind of my question. What, what so, so the Axis powers don't aggress in Europe and Pacific correct, islands, yeah. respectively? Correct. So they don't do evils to others. They Not even you know the, 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 the label or the stigmatization of the Axis powers. There's just Nazi Germany and Imperial Japan who do no evil. It would have been better, in my opinion, if we'd have spent six years trading with those countries as opposed to fighting them for the economy. Would you agree with that? Okay, I like I like this hypothetical. Um, in the case that the Axis powers don't try to start a war. Yep. Oh no, we're trading with an enemy. We do that all the time now with China. Or now, yeah, okay. So what What's I'm saying new? is not even just disregard that they're an enemy nation. Just they're they're a friendly nation with us, and we trade with them. Would it be better for the market as opposed to going to war? Would it be better for the American economy? Well, the well, we have to have a reason to go to war if we're gonna go to war. So if there's not an extremely valid reason to fight them, then trading with an enemy, we do that nowadays. I don't see... Okay, yeah, I, I understand what you're saying. I, I don't think you're getting what I'm asking, so we might as well move on because I'm not apparently not addressing it clear. Okay, I'm going to try it one more time, and this is very likely my fault, mind you, because I'm probably not addressing the question how I mean. Just like economically speaking... Would it be better for us to fight a war or just remain peaceful and trade with nations? I guess that's a better way to ask it. Uh, trade, um, I would say. Okay, so because so that's kind of your view is you, you're not the type of Republican that believes war is extremely beneficial to the state at all times. No, you, you have to go to war if you have to go to war. Yeah, that makes sense. That was kind of you what don't I was say, oh, I, oh, I need more money. Uh, let's fight a war. Yeah. No, we're not. Like ask Louis the Fourteenth. He was <laughs> he, he made his country broke because he just wanted to keep fighting wars. Yeah, so that that was kind of you know we I can't I think okay. we're kind of on a different page. When I was trying. Yeah, to I got you that. now. Yeah, yeah. So Blake, do you have anything to add on that before we leave? Kind of central baking, which spiraled into World War Two. <laughs> no, I, I think we got that one pretty covered. Yeah, so I mean we have a little bit of disagreements, but no big deal. We, we, we're not going to settle everything here. Okay, so we're not going to call each other racist or no, fascist. No, no. Well, we might later. We might call you <laughs> only <racist>. later. <laughs> we might get to that. <laughs> we, might, we might call you racist later, but not right this second. So I, uh, this is going to be a uh, uh, one that we very likely would disagree on. Do you see America as a as a policeman of the world, or an isolationist, or or in doctrine should be an isolationist country like? What do you see would be most beneficial for, for this country? And then as a follow-on, do you think your answer is, is consistent with the founding of our country and, and the founders who wrote our documents? Okay, so you're asking if America should be as it is now or retain the isolationist views of George Washington? I would... Um, okay, so should America... Like I said earlier, when there's a vacuum, government always wants to fill it. Government always wants to fill it. Excuse me. Um, so there will, there would be, if the U.S. wasn't the policeman of the world, there would be another country. I'd rather be us than another country in a way, 
But in another way, George Washington was definitely onto something. I mean, look at both world wars. Europe was just fighting amongst itself. Um, and we were fine because geography and politically and economically. Which generally we are. Period. Yeah. Fine because of geography. We're lucky yeah. enough to be. Um, but I would say that's a tough one because if there were to be a policeman of the world, I'd want it to be America. But that's not very American of me to say. If that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, I understand your, your... I'll go, I'll go ahead and say, yes, America should be the policeman of the world. No, it doesn't align with the founding. Okay. So yeah. But who could have predicted that America would become the superpower that it is? Yeah. I mean, I, I disagree wholeheartedly, and I know Blake does too, about the policemen of the world and what we believe. And, and my reason is, is because just a, a, stu- a, like a brief study of history will show you that countries that have, that have overextended themselves pretty much throughout all time, their, their empire and, and, and their social fabric and their economic, their economic stability has, has fallen with that empire once they overextended themselves and tried to be the policeman of the world for, for whether a moral reason or, or economic reason or spiritual reason. And, and I think with Rome, the Huns, the Assyrians, the Persians, you know, Alexander's Greeks, which obviously Alexander died, split off into multiple empires, and, and, and then obviously the main example is the Roman Empire and, and the British Empire. And now I think America is on that same trajectory where we we have so many problems within our own borders and yet we're trying to be we we can't even effectively police our own citizens and yet we're trying to police people who we don't even know their language, we don't know their values, we don't know their systems, we don't know their economics, and yet and yet we have the hubris as a nation to say we know better for your nation and the will of your governed, or even if it's a dictator we have the hubris to say we know better for this group of people even though we have no clue about their values at all than they do and i just i disagree with them and i disagree with you on this and, and like i said we probably disagree on some stuff and i know blake has something that blake can go on and get what you have that on that in there and then we'll have keaton respond because i'm sure he's got something insightful to make us look stupid <laughs> <laughs> yeah the the current uh, state of U.S. foreign policy is completely antithetical to the whole founding of the nation on self-government and self-determination and whatnot. And our policies of being the world's policeman in the last century almost at this point has caused nothing but problems from the Middle East to the Far East, China and Russia. I mean, Bin Laden himself said the reason for the attack on 9-11 was because U.S. troops were stationed in Saudi Arabia and the U.S. was still meddling in the affairs between Israel and Palestine. I mean, people don't like to admit that that's the reason 9-11 happened, but... Yeah, our outright very own CIA states it. Yeah, so... <clears throat> okay, so I do, think there, I do think there is some merit to moving back toward isolationism, to a certain extent. Um, because I think part of what makes America one of the greatest countries in the world is that without us, the Earth would cease to spin... But um, the greatest country in the world can go occupy Afghanistan now because we're not in there, you know. Um, but I do think that there's some merit to moving back towards isolate, isolationism, especially as there's other powers developing and there's more cohesion. Of course, uh, globalism, that's, we don't want that. But I think that there can be a balance struck between being a policeman but also trying to fix our problems first because part of being a leader is you got to fix your own problems before you can fix other people's problems and so i think that there is definitely merit to moving back toward that viewpoint so so i don't even i don't just to expound on what i was saying i don't even believe that we have the moral right to do that in other countries and i believe it is immoral that our our, our military is being used as an offensive weapon I think that is unjust. I think the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan were unjust wars. And, and if the state could sin, war sinful, which I don't think the state apparatus can sin. But I do not think they were moral. I do not. 
I don't think it's moral for us to decide that for others and for us to apply force to others where, where they're, like, they have no say in what goes on in our democratic republic. And yet we, we get to apply force to them to, to make them conform to what we see the best path for their country or people or tribe is. Okay, but I, I still see that vacuum where someone's going to fill that role. Um, and that power probably won't be more moral than we are, you know? That's fine. So I just see, but, I just but, see that vacuum. Yeah, so, so I, I understand that. That is, like, that yeah. is realpolitik. That's obviously going to happen. But yeah. my argument would be it doesn't have to be us. We're not doing it for any realpolitik uh, reasons. We, we, like you said, are geographically protected. Mexico and Canada would never, <laughs> they would never think about evading America. And if they did, and then as it should be, the, the response would be swift and violent. And, and, and we are protected by geography. Like I said, the, the value, I mean, the value of the dollar is going down every day. We have major economic problems. We have major, major race relation problems. And, and I just think the last thing we should be worried about is, is Muslims in the Middle East, to be honest with you. And, and I just, I, I think it's immoral. I know Blake might have something to add to this. I understand what you're saying. I really do. Because that, like you, that's the realistic view is that somebody else is going to step in that vacuum, whether it be China or Russia, and whether they be more or less moral should not be my concern as an American. I, I know that sounds bad, but we don't have the immoral authority to do it. So it's either us violate our morals because America does evil on the world scale. I mean, if you don't believe that, you, you do have your head in the sand. And, and whether we violate our right. morals or let China or Russia do that, I, I, I just think that we need to protect our own, the people who, who pay to live in this government, sadly, according to me and Blake's views, and, and, and don't really get a good return on our investment because we, we're allocating so much resources to, to meddling in other people's business overseas and things that we really don't understand. Blake, do you have anything to add on that? Well, like you said, I, I don't think us being less evil in the Middle East or wherever than Russia or China isn't a isn't a justification for us doing evil in Russia or in the Middle East or wherever. And I wanted to point out when we're talking about isolation, or at least me and Cole, I, I think this is what Cole means. We're just talking about meddling militarily or however else in uh, foreign places. I know some people, when they use the term isolation, they mean tariffs and no Absolutely free trade and stuff not. like that. Oh, we, no, no. I'm glad you pointed right, that out. We think free trade is the way to um, foster good relations with other countries and whatnot. So that's not what we mean by isolationism. Yeah, absolutely. I'm glad you pointed that out because I would never want to be misconstrued as a tariff guy. Which, if you've listened to it five minutes yeah. of this podcast, you know I'm a free market man and, and, and you know, free trade. But, Keaton, I'm going to give you one last chance to respond to that. Like I said, I'm not going to leave you without having a chance to respond in an argument, which we're just kind of having a little pushback here. Gotcha, um, maybe yeah. your thoughts on what I said or what Blake said, I don't know. Yeah, so I totally got the point about isolationism not being tariffs and being a hermit in a cave, per se. Um, I just think I'm, I'm kind of fine with America being the bad guy, you know? Um, someone's got to be the bad guy, and, you know, I guess I'm just fine with America being the bad guy. And not, okay, that. So I, I understand that, and I guess we're just going to butt heads if we stay on this topic. So <laughs> neither but, but you're definitely right about addressing priorities within this country. So I think in 2022, 2024, that's what America needs to look toward is fixing our own problems first. But to be a Amer modern America is to meddle in all kinds of places. Sometimes it's somewhat justifiable, but other times, yeah, it, it does get pretty ugly. But I, I just can't. I, I, I don't think that logically you could tell me a, a place that we've been that was morally justified where we've had military action in the last 70 years. Well, I'm not even talking necessarily in terms of war per se, although that is part of it. But um, someone's got to be that power that goes in. It's just up to the individual whether they want it to be America or not. And so I'm just I'm just fine with America being the jerk, I guess, simply put. So, so I. I guess I kind of want to stay on this a little bit because this is an important topic on the podcast and I'm glad that we have an opposing view a little bit because it's kind of an echo chamber in here a little bit. <laughs> so, uh, so your analogy, and, and if we break this down, you know, theoretically speaking, 
say that that there's a there's a gang of criminals and, and, and another gang of criminals and and they're and, and maybe like a mafia in a certain ward in Chicago. And and one gang of criminals you you would believe that it's moral for them to dictate the lives of the people that live there and, and without their will or their consent to tell them how to live their lives, how to spend and manipulate their currency, what they can and can't do. And, and, and what weapons they can and can't own and, and where their borders are in that town and, and, and make them pay for protection because the rival gang would be worse. And that's kind of, I mean, that's kind of the argument you've kind of made where in reality, morally speaking, no rival gang would exist. People would be able to be free and, and, and interact with each other and countries would interact with each other because all countries are in fact in a state of anarchy. And, and they would be, be able to interact with each other, yet because of this viewpoint, we have America, China, and Russia in an arms race to do the very thing you're saying you believe it is the most moral option that America be the bad guy, as you say. But if America... I'm not necessarily saying it's the most moral. Uh, okay, so you're saying, yeah. you're saying it's the best case scenario for, for the realistic response yeah, to China or Russia. For the world, yeah. okay. which sounds... So, so yeah, corny. Yeah, I guess we're just going to butt heads. But that's kind of my response to that. But that's, that's fine. Yeah, just something quick to that analogy, though, is there doesn't have to be a mafia in place. That's where that power and so the government and the police would be the ones trying to prevent something like that. So there's always going to be something trying to control another in some form or fashion. So it's not necessarily that a mafia would be in charge. It's that the government and militias and police would provide a peaceful environment. Yeah. Um, not necessarily where there's definitely going to be a bad guy. It's not necessarily lesser of two evils. Yeah, uh, I guess it's a decent analogy. That makes sense. I, I understand what you're saying about the police officer, but... I I guess I would just disagree. That's a whole other thing about yeah, cops with y'all. I don't really want to get hung up on it, to be honest with you. I understand what you're saying, and we're kind of just butting heads at this point. And that's just where your viewpoint on life comes from, to be honest. Yeah, yeah I understand. Yeah. So, yeah, so kind of moving on to some other questions to kind of pick your brain a little bit. But before we move on, I do want to point out, okay. Keaton mentioned something about the 2020, 22, 22 and 24 elections. Uh, uh, talking point for Republicans is going to be focusing on the interior in America, and I think that is the one, maybe the only positive uh, outcome of the Trump administration is making it cool among Rep Republicans to be uh, less of a foreign interventionist, yep. especially after the Bush administration. I completely agree. Uh, it's yeah, much more definitely. vogue to not invade other countries right now on both sides. But uh, so is that it, Blake? Uh, I'm yeah, glad you added that. And a quick add that um, you see some of the things that people are campaigning on. It's been peace deals. Yeah, that's a good point. So that's that's a that's a positive direction that our country is going. So there's th a little there, bit of light at the end of that yeah, tunnel. There is, just there, a, there just is, a spark. <laughs> there's room to rejoice a little bit after you turn off Fox News and I'm gonna shoot yourself in the head every night. <laughs> uh, so, what are your thoughts? This is kind of just a funny question that will probably tick me and Blake off a little bit with your answer, but what are your thoughts on libertarianism in general and anarcho-capitalism specifically, because me and Blake do kind of identify as anarcho-capitalist which is kind of a cheesy term, but I would say that I lean that way, I'm sure Blake does too we're definitely libertarians so the libertarian party kind of serves as that um, you get a yes, no, or other no, no, no. I'm They're sorry, the other sorry. box. Not libertarian party. Libertarianism. Libertarianism. Okay, okay, okay. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. Um. So, yeah, that party is definitely the the other box where it's just a bunch of people. It's not really a party. Yeah, that party's ridiculous. Libertarianism as a belief system, I think, is it's good. With every belief system, it has its pros and cons, definitely. Um, but not everyone is a strong, intelligent twenty-year-old that can wield a gun. There are grandmas and poor people and um, an anarcho-capitalist state. It's, it's like the jungle, but modern. I just don't see it as not immoral, but 
just not extremely civil, if that makes sense. So, yeah, I understand what you're saying. But I don't agree. And I'm, I know Blake doesn't either. So, so under an anarcho-capitalist society, or like a, a stateless society, or a decentralized society, like down to a county or maybe even a small state, um, we're not advocating for no no police system, no no civil you know civil operating systems, no judges, no juries. We're not advocating for that. We're not advocating for no property rights, no rights, no natural rights in general. What we're advocating for is the free market taking over or stepping into that area that would be left by a stateless society, that vacuum that we kind of talked about. And, and as we all three probably agree on, the free market controls and runs things at a much more efficient pace than the federal or state government. And, and, and the obvious reason is, is the free market has competitors and, and the federal and state government does not have competitors and they can come to your house, throw you in a cage, or shoot you in the head. So, so they have no incentive to give you a good product for a cheap price, whereas the free market does. So there is issues with the stateless society that would have to be resolved. But I think that it is the most moral way because there is not inherent force with a gun involved to peaceful people for not complying with the 51% majority who decided this was going to be a law today. And that's kind of like the kindergarten view of anarcho-capitalism, like libertarianism, stateless society, and I know Blake has more to add, and I'm sure you're going to have some questions on this, so or some pushback, so feel free to give that to us after Blake gets in his piece about it. Yeah, I know it's a common thought that anytime someone mentions a stateless society is it's going to be the, the wild, wild west, everybody's fending for themselves. As you know, I first thought. Right. Well, it's a natural thing to think. Yeah. But like you said, it's basically just the belief that nobody should be forced to do anything um, or force shouldn't be initiated against anyone to do something they didn't want to do initially. And like you talked about, that the free market will be able to provide for anything anybody needs better than any type of monopoly, which is what most free market uh, people do believe is that a monopoly is bad and the free market will be able to provide better. But in the current system we have, the federal government, the police system, everything else is a monopoly that, like you said, has no competition, has no incentive to improve, no incentive to check itself in any way, which is why uh, people like myself and Cole would say that a free market solution to that would be better in every way. Yeah, and, 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 and we, me and Blake will immediately grant to you that there is major issues with an anarcho-capitalist society. But, because I know you're going to bring up some before you get into it, I would also say that there are some major issues with the largest state in the world right now who, who plunders us with taxes and plunders us with programs, and, and we really don't get a great return on our investment. So I know you have some questions, some thoughts, some pushbacks. Keaton, let us hear them. <laughs> yeah, so when I say that I am that I don't see the merits of an anarcho-capitalist state, I am in no way endorsing the size of the federal government at this point in time. Yeah. No, no way. That is too overblown. Um, but there has to be some governing authority. Um, you mentioned smaller state localities. I can see merits of that. Um, I think as a United States, we are united. We are a, a single country. There needs to be some state. There needs to be some military. There needs to be some figurehead, diplomatic, based off of an image, like, hey, we have one leader, we're a country, single. Um, so I think there needs to be a state out there to preserve us as a country, but I'm definitely for increasing state rights and giving power back to states. Another problem I have with anarcho-capitalism, um, I'm getting the just that it's pretty idealistic. I don't see a way that it can be implemented. Um, one of the main problems of anarcho-capitalism is it's a little idealistic in implementation. You can study an ideology all day long, but if it's not implementable, then I don't see a lot of merit to it. Um, like we discussed earlier with elections, the whole goal is to win. Um, with anarcho-capitalism, I don't see it winning as an idea. Um, yeah, I just don't see it as implementing society in short yeah 
So I, I understand your inhibitions. And, and by the way, guys, we had the pause episode, so he kind of just jumped back on his argument again because we had a little bit of Wi-Fi issues. I understand your argument. I, I just think that, that the reason why you say that is because you, 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 you have the inability to look back on history and see that it has worked or not. And, and, and I would say that, that every state in America was founded in a, in a state of anarchy where, where the states were in anarchy with each other and decided to form a union that they can leave at their own will because they did join that union at their own will. And, and I just think that there, there is a way for anarchism to work if people remain peaceful and, 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 and the free market took care of things that the government takes care of now, and in my opinion, very inefficiently. Like, do you have anything to add on that? Yeah, this a defense of anarchy is going to take longer than we've got here. Yeah, um, I agree. <laughs> yeah, even I agree with that too, yeah. Yeah, so me yeah, and Blake probably um, have long-winded explanations. It, it's certain understandable, uh, your questions about it. Yeah, so... Drawbacks. I, yeah, 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 I understand, and, and here's the deal. We're going to have to wrap this up, because it's getting to our hour episode length. But this has been, I think I speak for Blake, awesome. One of my favorite, if not my yeah. favorite episodes we've done. I'm super glad we had you on, and we had you on first. You have some interesting viewpoints that we may agree with or not agree with. I wish we had a little bit more time, and we definitely want to have you back on the podcast at some oh, point. Oh, I, I definitely mm-hmm. want to come back. And and I think that maybe we can have a uh, me me and Blake kind of talk with you and, and Hunter about anarcho-capitalism and, and the pros and cons for an episode. I think people would find that interesting. I surely would. And I, I would. Be, I would be up for that. I, like I said – Definitely want to have you on. This has been this has been awesome, man. If you had any any closing remarks to give the people before we kind of wrap this thing up, and maybe something you want to say, maybe a plug in for some writing that you do for some websites, you go ahead and do it now. And uh, just any closing remarks at all that you want to make. Ah, uh, there's a great country we live in. I hope it lasts. That's all I got to say, really, because <laughs> yeah. it's there's starting to be a little a few cracks in the wall. I just pray that it stays together as long as possible, but reasonably as possible. Yeah. Um, I see some dangerous trends, but uh, we've overcome a lot as a nation. I don't know how we're still here, but we are. And um, conversations like these contribute to a better America, frankly. We agree. That's why we're glad. Yeah. Yeah. Knowing that you were coming into the, the libertarian den, <laughs> you knew that and you came on anyway, which I told you we weren't going to attack you or, you know, yeah, we're, no. we're not like that. Anybody who's willing to come on our podcast is not going to get attacked, period. But, uh, you know, especially, like I said, I consider you a friend and a, my cousin, smart guy. You have some interesting ideas, some stuff me and Blake don't agree with, some stuff that we do. And, and we want to do it again for sure. This was fun. This is, I mean, probably my favorite podcast so far. Blake, do you have any clues and remarks about the episode, this week, this month, this year, anything before we sign off until next week? No, this has been a lot of fun. Real exciting to have our first guest. Keaton's nice to meet. Obviously a bright guy. And uh, hopefully yeah. we'll have him back at some point. Yeah, I, I hope it's kind of soon. Like I said, I, I really want to carry on this anarcho-capitalism debate for an episode because I didn't even get to all my questions. Unfortunately, we're having Wi-Fi issues. We're going to have that fixed here in the next week at a different location because I'm kind of hosting on my computer right now at a different location that doesn't have great Wi-Fi. So we're going to be able to go longer and, and, and more in-depth, which we wanted to get into tonight. But I think we got I think we pulled some threads, maybe you know, got into Keaton's yeah, – psyche a little bit and his 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 viewpoint on some things and, and challenged it and he challenged us i thought it was a great conversation um i'm just gonna leave you guys with this you know as i always do love your neighbor you know love your family spend time with them you never know when it's your last and and be grateful for everything you know god has given you and be grateful you know we, we say some negative things about this country but it, this country is a good place to be born. Like we, we are very fortunate to be born here. And, and it is very important, like Keaton said, to have these conversations so we can protect this country with, with ideals that have been through the ringer, not ideals that are protected on a college campus by an elite few that are not allowed to be challenged, ideals that have been discussed and have been rigorously defended and rigor, rigorously attacked. And, and, and that's very important. And uh, like I said, once again, I'm glad to have you on, Keaton. Really yeah, happy wanna, to be here. I really want to have this anarcho-capitalism debate later. I'm, I'm kind of excited already for it. 
But, uh, yep, I'm just going to leave you guys with that. You know, uh, love your neighbor, love your family, take care of yourself. And, uh, as always, fight for freedom, but do it peacefully and do it with responsibility because we do have that responsibility to our kids and our grandkids. So uh, with that, I guess I'll see you guys next week, and I uh, appreciate it, and uh, have a good one. Yeah.